I can think of a lot of words that might suit Quasi Adolfo Mensa's first draft. Uh, probably the kindest I can come up with is brave. He took a lot of chances on things that could absolutely blow up on his face. You've got to have guts to make these kinds of decisions in your first NFL draft. You absolutely do, Jim, because, yeah, I mean, it was not only just making the trades that he did and trading down and 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 doing operating that way, but you're trading with division rivals to give them absolute pieces that they needed. Whether those players work out or not, we'll see. But, like, just – they both needed, needed, needed receivers, and you kind of facilitated them in going up and getting those. And then to move around that the way that they did throughout the, the rest of the draft, it was, you know, I think one thing in terms of the brave part of it is a lot of times the new guy on campus can really want to say, this is going to be a whole different, there's a new sheriff in town. This is a whole different world from where you were last time. This was very Spielman-like. Uh, in in the way that the, 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 that the draft was navigated and stockpiling fifth rounders, sixth rounders and doing those things. And so uh, we will see how a lot of this stuff plays out. But I was scratching my head at a little bit of it. And it's clear that he kind of did things the way that he wanted to do them and was not worried about outside perception. And we'll see how that pans out here over the next couple of years with this first draft class. And, of course, we never get the luxury of having a control group where you can say, okay, you know, this over here. I mean, I mean, you know, if I'm sitting in his seat and this is admitting that I don't spend thousands of hours analyzing tape and interviewing people, but it would have been so easy for him at 12 to take Tyler Hamilton and say, hey, we got a good player, you know, and we got a good player that everybody likes. Yep. Or you could have taken Jason, Jameson Williams said, hey, we're, we have done enough research. We think this guy's going to overcome this injury and be one of the best receivers in the NFL. And it's a premium position these days. And everybody would have, I think everybody would have been like, okay, makes sense. Uh, to, to trade with Detroit, to let Detroit take a great receiver, uh, to trade back 20 spaces. You know what, Matt, it might be absolutely the right move. You know, I mean, it might end up being that Seam ends up being just as good as Hamilton, that they got a really good player, at, you know, way later than they, they could have. They got extra assets by trading back. It just, it just if you care about the Vikings, it just makes you nervous because, you know, Seam, although obviously a good player, man, he just wasn't that high on people's uh, draft boards, at least the kind of people we read. Right. And, and here's, I mean, uh, I'll just say quickly on scene who our our guy at the athletic Dane Brugler, who, you know, is just spends his whole life doing this stuff says he, he really likes scene. He's physical, mm-hmm. excellent athlete produced at Georgia. So from that part of it, um, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, for me, like as a complete novice with this rock, with this draft class, you take a starting safety, a physical guy from the best defense in the country I'm like, okay, that makes some sense. But the issue that I took with it was not even necessarily passing up on Hamilton or Williams, even though both of them seem very highly touted. They could both end up being bust. That's that's the thing. But I just don't think they got he got enough. Quasi Dafomensa got enough in return to fall that many spaces. Like, yeah, you know, I know there are some draft charts out there, Pro Football Focus and others that say. Yeah, no, that actually computes with what the Vikings got in return for what they did, um, that that they actually came out ahead on the draft value chart. But um, 
I, I I'm just looking at this from a novice perspective or just from a from a straight perspective of you let a division rival come up and take a, a receiver that a lot of people really think is going to be very good. And you only and you drop back 20 spots in the first round and essentially only picked up a third round pick in return for it. Um, you swapped around seconds and things like that. I don't know why he didn't at least hold on to his own second round pick or get a future first or second round pick like something like that to merit falling that far down. I just don't think he got enough capital in return to do it. Like that, it was the same thing with his other trade down in the second round. I don't think that was enough um, of a return to merit dropping down as far as they did. And I know eventually they moved back up and, and all of those things. And that's great. But um, I'm just looking at kind of the process of the thing. And we'll, we'll see over the long haul, whether Kyle Hamilton becomes the next Paul Amalu, which if he does, oh my gosh. And if Jamison Williams is torching, you know, um, Cameron Dantzler in, uh, it, you know, in, uh, in the regular season, yeah, it's going to look really bad or maybe, Jamison Williams is Jalen Rager and Kyle Hamilton is pick whatever safety is a bust. And, and then Lewis scene turns out to be really, really good. Well, that part of it, you look at and say, okay, uh, you can justify it. No problem. But I'm less concerned necessarily about what players they passed up on and what players they landed. than I am about the process of dropping that far down with a division rival. I just think he needed to get more in return than he did for, for pulling off two trades like that. Um, that could very, very, uh, that could bolster two division rivals, uh, the way that, that it's possible that they did. My next question is, should a team ever trade with a division rival? Let's get to that. This is the Viking Update Show, part of TalkNorth.com. This is one of our two NFL-related shows. The other one is Jeff Diamond's Vikings and NFL Insider with the former Vikings general manager. This is uh, two longtime Viking writers uh, who have been watching the team for many decades. And I've covered a lot of drafts. This might have been the most surprising I've ever covered. And I just don't – I understand – and this, this is where – we're probably just not going to see it through Quezzy's eyes. He's obviously looking through his own analytics uh, playbook, and we're looking at it from a common sense and historical perspective. And, man, it just feels so risky to trade with the Lions and the Packers in a way that gives each of them a really talented receiver who could come back and just beat you head-to-head. Yeah, it's it's an absolute risk. And, you know, I don't think it's ever – I don't think it's a case where you – say never we will never let the bears or the packers or the lions move up um to take a player uh on our watch like that's that to me it would be bad business because you want to keep your options open in terms of accumulating draft capital in terms of being able to make the moves that you that you think will help your team as much as possible but if you're going to let a division rival move up. I think that it they have to pay a premium to do it. Um, I, I think that that it should absolutely be in the calculus when you're making your decisions on what to do, who to trade with, when to pull the trigger on those deals, because you are facing these teams that you are trading with twice a year, every single year. 
This is not you face you 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 train with the Bengals and that every once in a while in the rotation of the schedule you're going to see them and maybe you know you're facing a defensive end that they have or a cornerback or a receiver or whatever. You are going to see Jamison Williams and I can't even remember uh, the Packers guy. Is it Pickens? Is that who they pick? I can't remember who they picked, but um, the the receiver they're going to see him twice a year for the foreseeable future. Um, and and so that brings with it, I think, a different. Uh, approach in terms of what you consider to be worthy of moving off of a pick to let a division rival come up and take that. And I don't think that Quasi got near enough um, in, in terms of a premium from the Lions or from the Packers to make that happen. I know our Chad Graff, I think, reported at The Athletic that Quasi was actually ready to trade the 32nd pick to Green Bay um, at the end of round one and I think got talked out of it um, and just say, Hey, nah, th- this isn't the spot. Like let's take our guy and then let's see what happens in round two. And so then in round two, he made that move with them. Um, and so I, I think that maybe kind of just brings about a little bit of a, not concern, but just a, Hey, w- what's going on here? Are you sure about this? And and so I just, yeah, I, I think that if I'm a GM of a franchise and my division rivals want to trade up with me, I don't ever close the door on it, but I do say I'm going to charge you more for this than I would charge the Ravens or the Patriots or the Chiefs or whoever else. That's just, that's the cost of doing business. If you want this player bad enough and you can't get, you know, you can't get any traction with any of the teams around me, well, it's time to ante up. And I just don't think that he made those teams do that. Uh, I have some thoughts about the Packers. By the way, I think I called him Tyler Hamilton. It's Kyle yeah, Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton. Me, yeah. I want to make sure I get that right. Christian Watson is the North Dakota State player. Uh, the Packers drafted very talented athlete. You know, a little bit raw, a fascinating pick for them because I don't think he helps them all that much immediately. Uh, but they did finally draft a receiver fairly high. Let's get into all that. But we first want to thank here at TalkNorth.com. First, I want to let you know that Brandon Morton's our producer. Thank you to him. Thank you for listening to TalkNorth.com. We recommend subscribing to your favorite podcast app. It's the easiest way to listen. It's free. You can also go to TalkNorth.com and check out all the shows, outdoor variety, and sports. We have a great sports lineup. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod to see the shows as they are released. Uh, also want to thank... Uh, one of our primary sponsors across the Talk North platform, StarBank, StarBank.net. Big banks aren't the only ones with mobile apps and convenient financial services. I'd like to tell you about StarBank. StarBank is an independent community bank in Minnesota. They're family-owned and treat customer relationships as a top priority. You're not a customer number at StarBank, and they have no call center. It's just banking how it should be. A throwback to the good old days. Mobile app check, convenient services. You got it. Check out StarBank for yourself. For deposits and lending solutions, work with a local community bank that cares, starbank.net, member FDIC and equal housing lender. Uh, also want to thank uh, TSR Injury Law. We've been telling you about TSR on many shows, including the John Krasinski show, which uh, deals with the Timberwolves in the NBA for a long time. Uh, it was a great scene talking to Steve Terry during the playoff run. You can trust them. They will take care of you. They win a lot of their cases. They get they get a lot. Uh, they take care. They take good care of their their clients financially and otherwise 612 TSR time 612 TSR time that's all you need to remember if you're injured 
You make that call. We hope you aren't injured. We hope you don't have to make that call. But if you do, you will get good advice. Even if they can't help you, they'll point you in the right direction. You will deal with a lawyer and they will not charge you unless they win your case. It's no risk and high reward. 612 TSR time. So I, it's a really interesting draft for the division because the Bears obviously didn't have high picks because they traded up to get Justin Fields. And I think they have a really bad roster and they weren't able to help themselves a lot. You have the Packers who drafted kind of, I view him as a developmental receiver early in the, in the second round. Uh, I think he might be a good player, but I'm not sure he's going to be a good player right away for a team that is trying to win a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers in his prime. And uh, the Lions actually, the only team I think notably helped themselves. You know, I think they had a really good first round. They get a, an excellent edge rusher. Uh, they get uh, a really talented receiver. It's, so, but of course they're a three win team. How much do they improve? And then the Vikings, you know, maybe this draft moves in the right direction, but I'm not sure there are any guarantees. What, what's your view of the of the division take? Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that the Lions, it seems like the Lions help themselves the most, um, at, you know, at, as we stand right now coming off of it. Um, and they are the ones that needed the most help. I mean, them and the Bears, I guess. But uh, because the Lions are still like, in this, it seems like they're in some sort of a uh, uh, limbo, I would say, with their quarterback. Uh, I think they're less of a threat than certainly, obviously, the Packers. And then we'll see what happens if Fields makes a big leap this year in year two with the Bears or not. Um, but for the Packers, the, I, the Christian Watson pick was interesting because a hugely talented, a lot of physical specimen type of a player. Um, and will he be able to be brought along quickly by Aaron Rodgers, by an elite quarterback? They have the 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 kind of the ta- the arm talent to be able to you know make more out of their receivers than maybe the Vikings or the Bears or the Lions or anyone else. And so um, you know, having the, having the Packers kind of get a, a a piece that they need if he turns into something that potentially really does swing this draft in a in a remarkable way. Now, if Watson turns out to be that project and a, is a slow developer and isn't quite ready in year one to help Aaron Rodgers, um, well, then you know then it'll be a much more wait and see. But if he becomes an impact player right away. Um, that's one that that the, I think the Vikings are really gonna going to regret because the the Vikings draft when you look at it and maybe there are some guys that are just real gems in here that are going to just come you know come together maybe Scene will be a star maybe you know maybe Booth will get past his medical issues and and really kind of be you know, a, a super solid defensive back that they need and maybe it'll all work out well but. Um, it seems like it was an underwhelming kind of draft from a from a kind of uh for just an overall evaluation standpoint it feels like it fits where the vikings are right now they're a middle of the road team and they had a middle of the road draft so um trying to 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 judge where teams are coming off of a draft when nobody none of these guys have put in on pads yet is obviously a fool's errand but i think that you know the 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 Packers took two defensive players from Georgia, which you'll I'll never look down on uh, with their first two picks. Then you get Watson from North Dakota State. They got you know, a, another receiver in the fourth round. We'll see what happens there. 
Um, and, and so I think that the upside of the Packers draft is probably higher than the upside of the Vikings draft right now. And the Vikings needed to need to really square up the bat on the ball with several of these picks to help bolster a roster that needs it. And so I think the Packers have less of an immediate need for a lot of this talent outside of the receiver, but um, they're just a better team overall. And so you still obviously put them in the driver's seat coming out of this. I don't think anything happened dramatic enough to change my thinking that the Vikings are still, you know, very much looking up at the Packers in the division. Oh yeah. No, I agree with that completely. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how those defensive players play out for the Packers because they did get some talented guys, but neither of them, to me, jumps out as a superstar. They just probably mm-hmm. they probably fit them pretty well. Uh, what did you think of the draft of Ingram? Uh, I, you know, to me, that might be the most troubling. He was uh, accused of two. Uh, he was accused of two counts of uh, sexual assault. Uh, charges were later dropped after a couple of years, but LSU considered it serious enough that they suspended him. Um, man, I, I mean, that talk about risk. I mean, that to me feels more risky than trading down is taking somebody with that history. But, you know, what we don't know is did the Vikings do enough legitimate vetting of him that they can really feel good about it? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like every pl- team that drafts a player with a background like this, and it happens all over the league, they always say we did our due diligence, we really looked into it, and we're comfortable with where things are at. You often find out after the fact that maybe they talked to the player's lawyer, maybe Mm -hmm. they talked to the player's family, things like that, and they didn't really go into any sort of uh, background with the alleged victims um, in in these cases. And you know, or the attorneys of the alleged victims, all of this stuff. Um, And it's a very surface level approach to get them to feel good about taking a player with talent. I'm with you, Jim, in terms of, I think it is a big red flag that a program like LSU, which is not exactly, (laughs) does not exactly have a reputation of holding a hard line on these types of situations or off the field issues with their players of any kind, um, that, uh, you know, that they went to the lengths that they did in terms of discipline for Ed Ingram. I did not also, even though it's a very difficult position for Ingram to be in, um, I didn't like his answers to the questioning by Kevin Stieford and other Vikings reporters, um, after he was drafted about the issue, about, um, the case, about anything like that, just saying, I'm going to focus on football, you know, We've seen, you know, we've well, let's let's just take Trevor Bauer for instance. He is incredibly vocally, you know, defending himself against the allegations. It does not mean he's innocent at all. It does not mean any of that. Um, but he has taken a hard stance of, I am fighting this tooth and nail. This is not what happened. Uh, the this is the wrong interpretation. All of these things. Um, we didn't hear any of that from Ed Ingram at all. Um, and it's, it was more like, Hey, I want to get past this. Um, I'm just going to focus on football, not exactly any sort of accountability or any of those things. And 
Again, maybe that's from a legal sense. Maybe that's it, what he had to do in that situation. But it certainly does not make you feel good as um, a person looking into these allegations, looking into this situation, and saying that you know everything is okay here. Um, so I, I do think it is a big risk, and if you know if it comes out later, if more details come out about this that really paint. Ingram in a bad uh, light, um, the Vikings are going to be the ones that have to answer for that as much as Ed Ingram does. And so it's very, it's a very risky move to go down this road with these kinds of things. And, um, and we'll, I guess we'll have to just see how it plays out. Um, but yeah, the initial signs of it really do make your, your stomach queasy for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. To me, it's probably the highest risk draft pick they took, and they took a lot of uh, you know, seeming flyers. Uh, let's get to another topic. Uh, you and I both talked at times about, hey, wouldn't it be great if they end up with Malik Willis and they can develop their own talented quarterback behind Cousins? And then he goes with, like I think it was like the 86th pick. Uh, to me, that is another place where the Vikings could end up really regretting this draft. Is And, and listen, maybe, maybe Malik Willis just isn't that good. Obviously, 32 teams – didn't want to take him in the first or second round. Uh, so they were not considering either him as a future superstar or somebody can help him right now. But man, I still look at the skill set and say, boy, wouldn't this be a great guy to have? What what did you think after you saw after you saw him go 86 or whatever to Tennessee? Did you did you have the same reaction I did? Yeah, I mean, well, for the the bigger picture part that I was stunned by is like I can't remember the last time the pre-draft, you know, when we, we have fun with the mock drafts and, and, mm -hmm. you know, Hey, do you really know what you're doing and all these things? But most of these guys, at least the ones that I read, put an incredible amount of work into these drafts and the projections, while not always, you know, bang on are usually within the neighborhood of where these players go. And Willis, even though he was kind of pushing down the board as the, as the draft approached, I've never, I don't know if I can remember seeing a player who was maybe projected, projected to go mid to late first round. And some, some of them had him in the second round, but mid to late first round in a lot of them and ends up going 86th. Like what, what was the miss on the evaluation? Um, that to me was just like completely shocking. Now I do think that that insulates the Vikings a little bit mm -hmm. um, from you know, criticism because I, I was the one who said, you know, right before the, the draft um, in our last show, just said, if you believe that Malik Willis can be a franchise quarterback, you take him number 12 overall and don't even worry about it. Now it's clear. They didn't believe Malik Willis could be that way. It's also clear. Every other team in the league didn't believe that. And so um, from that aspect of it, I think that, you know, that you can say, okay, well um, it wasn't like they passed on him at 12 and he went at 13 or 14 then I think you look at it and say, oh boy, did they really make a mistake? That said, Jim, the, on the flip side of it, you can say the deeper he gets, you know, into the third round, um, now the risk becomes even less. Now it's, boy, this guy seems to have a heck of a lot of physical talent and he needs some time to develop, but you draft him in the third round, that there's going to be no pressure to play him right away. There's going to be nothing, no, no um, issues that he that you face in terms of rushing him onto the field. 
So you can let him marinate and you can let him learn. You can put him through things and eventually maybe he turns into something. Um, and so they didn't, they, they, you know, to, to not, to not take Malik Willis, you know, instead of Brian Asamoah, the linebacker from Oklahoma, maybe, maybe Asamoah is going to be great. I don't know. But like that to me is the longer that he goes into the draft, the bigger or the less risk you have. So it's almost, it almost gets to a point of, well, why not take him now? Like, why not bring him in and just see if you have something? Because if not, you lose a third round pick. That's not the end of the world. If you do, if you do capitalize and you find a guy who can really play the game, man, that just changes your whole franchise. So that will be, that's the interesting part to me is that it it came, it became a point of, uh, you know, he kept on falling and kept on falling. And it's just like, gosh, like, why not take him now? Um, but, you know, uh, clearly the Vikings didn't. That said, a lot of other teams clearly felt as down about Malik Willis as, as the Vikings did. And so it's hard to really blame them, at least in the immediate aftermath, for not pulling the trigger on it. Right. And my thought as he kept dropping was, okay, there's at least a small chance he develops into a star. There's also mm-hmm. a very good chance he's at least Taysom Hill. You know, there's a, right. a very small chance he's at least a dynamic athlete at backup quarterback who can really cause fits for a team if he comes in the middle of a game and who might be part of some really cool packages that allow you to do some creative stuff. I just, if I'm an offensive coach, I'm just kind of drooling over that. 100%. Like w- once you get into third, fourth round kind of guys like I mean yeah you can find starters who can come in right away and play I mean that's absolutely possible um and it happens regularly but I think at that point you're starting to look at upside and you're starting to look at ceilings and you're starting to look at hey who can we bring in that could outperform their draft slot by a wide margin and Malik Willis seems to fit that mold of you know what like when you are investing in 86th pick it's just kind of like why not like yeah and and you i mean flip saunders would always say this especially in the second round but even in the mid first round and and late first round you're not looking to hit singles and doubles with those picks you're looking to hit home runs because this the there are so many picks that you're going to make that just don't pan out in that area so why not swing for the fences? Because if you do connect, it really changes things. And so um, that to me is the is the thing is once he drops into that range, now it's just like absolutely draft the talent and see if you can mold and develop it. Uh, now watch Brian Asamoah become, you know, the <laughs> next, you know, Scott Studwell or something. I don't know. But uh, but that's just the uh, at quarterback, I mean, that's just like, holy cow, like that, that, that's a hard thing to pass up. And I don't know, maybe there's something that every single mock draft to talent evaluator missed, which clearly there was because there's no way he drops that far if there wasn't. But, um, but you know, the farther that he dropped, the, the longer that he stayed on the board, it's just, it just gets to a point of, man, can you really almost afford not to try and take a flyer on him at this point? Yeah, I would have taken him over Ingram. You know, I would have made it that mm-hmm. simple. Uh, but we'll, we'll yes. see. We'll we'll see. It, it, you know, none of us really know what we know about the draft, but we do try to apply logic and historical precedent to it, if nothing else. Uh, hey, good stuff from John. Thanks again to our sponsors, Star Bank, and 
TSR Injury Law, 612 TSR Time. Thanks again to Brandon. We'll be back next week. We'll start getting into, well, we'll probably just rip the draft some more.